in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. In your mind. Harkin, graphic audio audience, and prick up your ears for producer Dwayne Beeman. Hey. Director Rose Elizabeth Supan. Hello. And I, Rick Rowan, the de facto voice of ignorance, have gathered for the latest informative and fun-filled episode of Behind the Scenes Goodness, All in Your Mind. And featuring today, in all his authorly glory, the creator of the wildly popular series Demon Cycle, GA favorite and New York Times best-selling author, and as of this morning, fledgling voice actor, the one, <laughs> the only, Peter V. Brett. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome, Peter. All right. Well, thanks for coming down. Uh, coming down from New York. Uh, Just like I pictured it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Come here a minute. Come here a minute. We'll do. Uh, I'm going to do a quick little uh, little blurb here. Uh, Peter's the New York Times best-selling author I mentioned of the Demon Cycle series, which has sold more than two million copies. Uh, that's probably more now in 25 languages worldwide. Novels include The Warded Man, The Desert Spear, The Daylight War, The Skull Throne, and now The Core. Uh, the graphic audio version of which is right now in production. Yep. The first four are available now. At www.graphicaudio.net. And, uh, and Five lines will be totally mangled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. But I do also want to mention that we did that we also have the three corollary novellas. Yeah. Uh, Messenger's Legacy, The Great Bazaar, and Brian's Gold? Brian's, Brian's Gold. Gold, okay. And there will be one more Baron, which I am writing right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that will take place uh, in It between? takes place concurrently with the core, just in a different location. Gotcha. So that will tie up the last remaining story thread from the core, and then the series will be officially done. Gotcha. Um, well, before we... I want to talk right away about the, the session you guys did, but give us a quick uh, overview of what... You, uh, what, what um, Demon Cycle's about, really. What what kind of a world you've created? Okay, so the spoiler-free version is uh, yeah. Demon Cycle is set in a world where uh, demons rise out of the ground every night when the sun sets um, and basically ravage the land, terrorizing people, um, and uh, they're attracted to places where humans live. Humans are their favorite prey. And uh, these demons are immortal and immune to most weapons. And so the only way to protect yourself is to draw these magical symbols called wards mm. around your property, on the doors of your doors and windows of your houses, um, around your crops so they don't destroy your crops, things like that. And so every night as the sun sets, people retreat behind their wards and basically live in terror throughout the night hoping the demons don't get through because these symbols are, are fragile and um, they can be weathered down by the elements, they could be broken, so um, anything that happens that damages your wards, the demons get in and traditionally you die. Hmm. And so the series starts with a demon attack and uh, where uh, a young boy um, survives the demon attack but he witnesses the death of some of his loved ones and it sort of sets him on a path of wanting to find what else there is in the world because they've been sort of trapped because they can't travel more than a day from home without having to get behind the wards mm. and to, to learn if there's a way to fight back. And then throughout the series, we see a series of character studies of people who were 
traumatized by a demon event in their childhood and how that sets them on a new path to finding different ways to cope with the problem and learn to fight back. Um, each person sort of discovers their own way of surviving and, and fighting back and, and as we watch them grow up over the course of the series they become pretty impressive heroes. The ones that live, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no spoiler. Now, now, aside from the obvious dark aspects of it, but is this a, a semi-Earth-like uh, environment? Uh, technologically, are they... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there, the question of whether or not this actually is Earth right. uh, is one that I get a lot, and I deliberately don't answer it. Because yeah. I think that some people think that it is, and some people think that it's a totally separate world, and I don't want to ruin either one of those people's... Impression. I know the answer, but I, I'm, I'm careful not to answer it. But imagine, if you will, a world that was that it was at our level of technology, and then demons who we thought were were myths suddenly come back. They burn the libraries, they knock down all the big buildings, and they basically mm. pummel humanity down into like little house on the prairie level technology. Right. Okay. And that's where the the series picks up 300 years after the demons have come back. Mm. Most of the technologically advanced world has been destroyed um, and people are sort of eking out a living like the, the ones who finally discovered the wards of defense are eking out this living at like a very low level of technology mm -hmm. there are still a few libraries that survived where they have books of science mm -hmm. but they don't have the tools to apply a lot of that knowledge mm -hmm. and so you know it's like having a book of chemistry but not having the tools to like refine you know Metals, metals, and, yeah. and, and different <coughs> chemicals and whatever. Chemicals. Um, so it's it is otherwise a very Earth-like world, and they face a lot of the same problems, socially and physically, and and uh, status-wise as we do. Um, Just within the confines of this bizarre living environment. Uh, the yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they, oh. I imagine you devote a lot of time to how one would, one would go about living in such an environment and, and developing a society or maintaining a society. And Certainly the whole book that sets up, the first book which sets up the world really delves deeply into this sort of, um, in the beginning it's less about the demons themselves and more about how do people treat each other when right. they're like, have to lock themselves in together at night mm. and you know live in fear that whole night and, and be convinced that there's a good chance they're going to die every night. How mm. do they start treating each other? How does that affect their daily life? How does you know like, like what becomes important to them yeah. that might not have been if they didn't have that sort of uh, situation? <coughs> and so we get into that very deeply. I, I talk like. In vaguer terms, like, I've built out the whole world of, like, which animals were able to survive this sort of change right. and which ones weren't. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, there are no, like, sort of middle-sized animals because they've all, the demons have hunted them all down. Mm -hmm. So really the only ones that are left are the ones that are quick and able to hide or, like, really big, powerful ones that have evolved to be even stronger so that they can fight back or run away or domesticated animals. And so, like, little things like that I've thought all the way through, but yeah. I don't burden the story too much with explaining all that I just let the story unfold and and and, and as things occur in the storyline you can you uh, imagine yeah. you elaborate on that aspect of things I pulled that out of my like 800 page story yeah. you know like, like wow. series Bible <laughs> and so uh, there's a lot of information that never makes it to the story I only put in what's actually really important to now you uh, originally uh, I remember okay I, I have to tell this story because I remember we first met when you had just put out Warded Man, 
Yeah, it was, it was, like it was really fresh. Yeah, we, it was at Balticon. Yeah. We were at a little fa- a table trying selling our wares, and and uh, and I, th- I don't even know if we had had we signed you on yet, or, or it was. I don't know. I think you probably either either you had signed it me on or we were in talks. They're in the early stages. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and and Peter had an iPad. It was the first tablet I had ever seen because it was pretty fresh. Yeah, technology. the iPad one. I had just yeah. gotten. Yeah. I was super proud of it. Too. And, and, <laughs> and I had had no interest in the iPad. I thought, what? What do we? What do I need that for? And then he broke out some comics on the iPad yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. and started showing me. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can see how. That I was the same <laughs> way. I, when yep. the first one came out, I was like, I don't need this thing. <laughs> Just like that, someone showed me comics on that thing, and I said, I gotta get one. <laughs> well, that's a little bit of trivia, but uh, let's talk about the session. Um, what did, uh, Rose, what did, uh, what did Peter play for you this morning? Peter played the character of Keith, who is an older teenager, and um, he's basically gone from a pretty nice guy to a pretty aggressive son of a gun because of a because of circumstances that he's created and a lot of them have created it's almost like they've got their own little society going on and so he's um he's pretty crappy to people (laughs) (laughs) did that come naturally to you (laughs) i mean more crappy than a teenage you know teenage boy would normally this is true he's 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 probably got a hoodie and people call him a thug (laughs) yeah Right. It's interesting. The character um, has been in every book, but I don't think he's ever had a line before. He was a uh, a bastard child in the first book that was like the source of a small scandal, mm. and so he's mentioned a lot and he's seen a few times in, in the in the other books because he's part of the running cast. Like like right. there are all these different locations in the series, and I have a running cast of background characters mm. that that we have names for right. that I'll kind of like work into to Flesh scenes just to, yeah. to have regulars in, yeah. you know yeah, as we yeah, change yeah. setting makes sense and so he's been in every book but I don't think he's ever had lines before and so he was the perfect choice so I can like come in and mangle up his accent anyway <laughs> and nobody would be able to be like that doesn't sound like, like you're right. <laughs> <laughs> the accent was perfect the portrayal was perfect actually and he got to do she all the noises lying. except for yeah. <laughs> he did not. Uh-huh. A lot of retakes? No, no, not a lot of retakes. As a matter Have of fact, it was. Well, I mean, like I, I already knew how he sounded in my head. Right. So, uh, but I'm notoriously bad at like, like I can write an accent and then I try and say it and it doesn't. No, mm. well, it's a different skill. It was set. perfect. Yeah. It went um, right along with what we've been doing. Cool. Really did. So, it really yeah. did. And then I had to make all the fighting noises, which was weird. <laughs> I, was, I was telling Rose, I was like, that's some of the hardest I, stuff I do, to do. I, I do kickboxing, and I never make any of those noises. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I told him about the truncated death cry, but he didn't have to do one of those. <laughs> well, that's tricky. I mean, it, 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 a lot of times uh, doing physical things, you're not aware of the noises that you make because they're so internal. But mm. uh, you know. Once you start doing this kind of thing, you start to be aware of the the little sighs that people make, the little unintentional grunts and things. They can just add reality to the scene, or or also just place the character in the scene when you've got a lot of narration or verbiage that's you know that's that you kind of forget. Sometimes if you've got chunks of narration, 
in between dialogue, you kind of forget the characters in the scene sometimes. So it's it's nice every now and then to inject a sigh or a vocal of some kind that's mm. that's nonverbal. So are you making little mental notes through life? You know, it's <laughs> like this is the sound of me lifting a heavy grocery bag. <laughs> <laughs> I tell I tell actors to do that, especially new ones. I say, yeah. you know, listen to yourself occasionally. You know, and you you, you may think that you don't make noise, but but people do. Um, you know, and yeah. also it's an auditory medium, so it's better if you do. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, and it's so it's weird hearing your voice come back to you. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you don't sound like you think you sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I played now, I played him back what he had done. Now are you gonna? Did he did he give you a nice teenage sound? Are you gonna pitch him up? No, or? I don't have to do a thing to it. I thought I'd have to either pitch it up or pitch yeah, yeah, it yeah. down. Yeah. But what he gave me is perfect. Cool. Right along with a couple of voice cracks that he was saying, oh, oh really? my voice cracked, and I went, no, we don't want to yeah, change yeah. that. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> I think I like. I think I go up. Uh, when I do the accent, I think I go up an octave or like. Oh, really? Just place like, it there? Yeah, I, I like not intentionally, but. Uh, oh, it's like doing an Irish accent or something. Yeah. You start to go up in the top of your register. Well, you that's know? because yeah. you're thinking that you're with Lucky Charles. You're a lucky, you're a leprechaun. You never think of yourself as Liam Neeson. Yeah, that's right. Well, unless you have a particular set of <laughs> skills. <laughs> So did you enjoy doing? <laughs> no, we had a blast. Like, like, you played back half that recording was us laughing. <laughs> <laughs> that's we were pretty typical. A good time. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty typical. I, I got. I was nervous coming in, and then I thought that there was going to be some sort of like warm up or rehearsal oh, or whatever. No. And she threw me right in the yeah. booth, and so yeah. like I didn't, I didn't have time to. To really get too too nervous too about, nervous yeah, about it. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how it goes down. That is. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the time the warm up is just banner back and forth a little bit, mm -hmm. and then okay, let's we're rolling. Yeah. And, and, and his his first two lines were like one takers. They were just like boom, boom, and I said that's it. And they, I, you know, I had to tell you anything. I didn't realize well, you might have missed your call in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could be late. starving yeah. with yeah. the rest of us. <laughs> Whatever my next series is, maybe I can get a regular. Yeah. There you go. I gotta ask you really quick. Uh, Warded Man in the UK is called Painted Man. What's, yeah. What's the story behind that? Uh, Painted Man was my original title. That was ah. that was what I wrote it under. That was wh what I sold it as. Because and they literally paint the wards. Yeah. Yeah. Mark. I mean, like painted meant means tattooed, and he tattoos right. himself with ink, and so like being referred to as painted to me was tattooed. Right. Um, the tattooed man, I didn't think was well, sounded as good. Yeah. Um, and then uh, my U.S. publisher uh, decided that they didn't like that title and they wanted to change it. Mm. They never told me why. Mm. Uh, like I've heard rumors, you know, like since then, you know, like they, that they thought that like somebody might be offended by that because like that was like a, a apparently a term like a derogatory term for Native Americans at some point. Really? Oh. Which I didn't like. I didn't even know I didn't that. Know That's know that. Obscure, yeah. um, so, but I don't know for sure if that was their reason. All I know is they didn't like that title and they wanted to change it. And so I wrote this long list of alternates mm. for them to choose from, one of which was The Warded Man. Mm. But they hemmed and hawed for, for a really long time, and my UK publisher, who, who had the book coming out nine months ahead of the US, uh -huh. were like, look, we can't sit. We need a title. What can we do? Is it okay if we use Painted Man? We like that title. Right. And I was just like, all right, fine. I mean, you got to go with something. Interesting. So, so they went with that, and then the book came out and was a bestseller in the UK. And then in the U.S., they, they decided to eventually to go with Warded Man, which I think in the long run ended up being the better title. Mm -hmm. But because they changed it, 
all of the momentum of this book that was a bestseller in the right. UK was lost. Was lost right. oh, and my. I kind of had to reboot my career. You would have here. thought because it was successful, they would have said, oh, well, let's just go with it. You would yeah. have thought that. <laughs> <laughs> he said with absolutely no rancor. <laughs> now, now, but the, I will say uh, in, in defense of Warded Man, it con it conveys magic more. It, yeah, it, yeah, it know, does. It, I it mean, give, I would have been perfectly happy if it was the Warded Man everywhere. Because now, years later, I look back and I think like it's the better title. And the story, I like the the, the story that that you came to the, your original publisher with one finished book, like half of the next one, and then heavily plotted uh, for subsequent titles, and you were ready to. If it didn't go well, that you would trim it down from. Yeah, I mean that was that was what I told them. I went in saying like I want to do five books. Right. Here's how it's going to go down, and I gave them the whole first book. I was maybe thirty percent done with the Desert Spear, but okay. I'd also but I'd written an outline very detailed of what was going to so happen. You knew what was going. And on. then I had about three pages of what would happen in book three. Mm. I had about four paragraphs of what would happen in book four, and then I had two sentences of what would happen in book five at the end. And my agent actually made me take one of those sentences out because he's like, never tell them how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's so, smart. Um, and, and I went in with that and I was like, here's the series I want to do. It's going to be five books. And they said, look, we've never heard of you. Like, we're not going to invest, you know, a five book contract in you, like yeah. not knowing how the book is going to do. So we'll give you a three book contract. And if they sell well, you can write as many books as you want. Mm -hmm. And if they don't sell well, you have to find a way to end it in three. And, you know, that was the deal they offered, so I took it. And that led everyone to think that the book was meant to be a trilogy. Right. But my original plot was always for it not to be. And then about halfway, or maybe I was getting towards the end of Desert Spear, and I called my agent and I said, look, I'm at a point right now where I have to decide if it's going to be five books or three books because this whole plot line that I want to start doing is not going to fit if I have to close it in three books. Right. And he was like, look, the, you know, the book is doing really well in the UK. Like, there's no reason to think it won't do well here. So just write what you want to write and we'll make it work. Worst case scenario, we take it to another publisher for the last two books. Wow. And so I just threw the dice and yeah. started writing, you know, just like read, wrote the story that I'd always meant. And so then the publisher came back to me and they're like, okay, we'll, we'll do another three book deal. And I was like, it's still five books. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so now I have a contract that, you know, like, so I have one book left on my contract that's just question mark, you know, oh, TBD. Uh. Interesting. Which is an interesting position to be in. Yeah. Where, like, I, I could do a cookbook. I could, like, <laughs> I wonder, yeah. Well, one of the one of the questions I wanted to ask was that I mean that you've been living in this this uh, this universe for for so long, and you and you built it up, and you know it inside out. Is there is there an interest in continuing this universe or doing something just completely different? Both. Yeah. So <laughs> I've set up this book. All right. I'm yeah. gonna, I just got to be clear not to have any spoilers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, like this book will end firmly. All of the character arcs that are ongoing right now will close. Loose some people will up. die. Some people will live. Like, but like the all the main story problems will be resolved. Okay. But uh, anyone who's reading the series knows that there's like a few pregnant characters, mm. and so I have plans to do some more books set in the same world that take place about fifteen or so years later. Mm -hmm. and we'll move to a different location in the world. 
So like we'll move off the map that we've seen and and explore some different things and different ideas. But I also want to do something new. Yeah. And like I've I've invested so much of my time and creative energy into this world and I love it and I I kind of am reluctant to pull away from it. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want this to be the only thing that I've ever done. Right. You right, know, like I've right. still got a lot of years of writing left in me. Right. So I think the the plan that I have right now is that one loose book that I have, you know, the last book on my contract, I'm going to do a standalone story that's set 15 years later. Okay. Where, like, I could keep doing more of those books in the future, but after I finish that book, then my contract will be done. And whenever my new contract is, I'm going to do something totally new for the length of that. And then if I go back to the Demon Cycle after that, like, if there's enough call for it, people want it, then I, like, I've left the door open for that, but not in a way that will affect the story that you're reading now. So if you're reading the Demon Cycle now and you get to book five, book five is the end. And And so... uh, when we pick up, if it goes on longer, you'll be dealing with new main characters and new problems, and and you know I'm just going to reuse some of the just building on the magic system gone before. Yeah, 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 the magic system. Speaking with the, with the new type of book that you want to do, um, do you want to stay with fantasy, or are you thinking about exploring another type of genre? Or I've been toying with the idea of doing science fiction. Mm. I've had like a couple of ideas for doing science fiction, but fantasy has always been my love. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like odds odds are good that I'll end up doing fantasy again. But I, I, I have some trunk novels that were science fiction, okay. um, mm. which I'm certainly not going to publish any of those. <laughs> but they're in the trunk for a reason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, like I am also interested in that. Like, and so I, I might do something like that, or I might do like I probably will do an entirely new fantasy series um, but I'm leaving the door open yeah, because frankly yeah, yeah. all of my creative energy has been poured into finishing this series right. in a way where like I feel it sticks the landing and I can look back and be proud of it mm-hmm. and, you know, like this this it's defined my career it's changed my entire life and like I wanted to do right by it and so I have I honestly have not given any thought to what the new thing is going to be so after my book tour when I sit down again like then I'm going to start planning out whatever my next move is let the dust clear and let your mind clear and and I still have that last book to write so like I know what my next book is oh okay I have a question yeah do you Coming to the end of this series, has that affected you emotionally as far as some of these characters and mm. what transpires? It has. Um, it's interesting because I finished the first draft of this last book the day before my daughter was born. Uh, and oh, so, wow. like, I, I sort of didn't have time to, like, you know, hit the end and, like, have a scotch <laughs> and, like, and, like, and, like, reflect back on my yeah. journey or whatever. Yeah. It was just, like, diapers. <laughs> and, like, wow. you know, like, you know, like, it was, like, right to the hospital the next day. Wow. And so, like, I knew that, um, I knew the bait was coming and I was rushing and rushing to get that first draft done. And then, um, we had to like schedule the birth because there were you know like oh okay so it wasn't like like I knew like this is the day that it's happening and so like I stayed up all night the night before to finish finish it so I could turn it into my editor and let them start reading it while I was in diaper zone (laughs) yeah gotcha um 
And then, like, after a couple of months when things had stabilized a little bit, then I was pulling all-nighters, uh, doing revisions, mm-hmm. and um, it was it was a brutal schedule because, like, I would wait until everybody went to sleep to, do, to start working because it was the only quiet time I had. Yeah. So I would work from, like, 11 to maybe 3, mm-hmm. and I would crawl into bed... And uh, the baby would wake up at like three thirty. Oh, the baby was man. right in the bedroom with us, oh. so it was like oh. it was months of that. Wow! Um, wow. But That's I good. look back and I am proud of this book. I like. I feel like it sticks the landing. I'm. I like. That's good. It ends exactly like the two sentences that I wrote ten years ago to, still to oh, pitch wow. it. Like that's how it ends, and like. So it's like shooting something from far, far away, where you got to shoot up in the air to have it arc down. And, like, I hit the target, and I feel proud of it. And so when I turned in that second draft, I had a little more time to, like, think back about it and um, really reflect on it. And, like, yeah, it's it's been emotional. Like, like now, when you plot, th- this, this uh, strikes me as, I mean, you, you think well ahead, and you plot things out well in advance. Do, do you leave room for surprises, or do things happen in the course of writing for you that that make you go, hmm, maybe this would be more interesting if I tweaked it in this direction. Do, is there room for that in your yeah. in your plotting? There is. Um, yeah. There kind of has to be. Yeah. So I, I plot more meticulously than any other author that I know. Mm-hmm. My step sheet for this current book was probably close to 200 pages of, wow. um, like, Chapter one, you know, this person's POV, and then like bullet points of like this happens, this happens, this happens, witty bit of dialogue, this happens, this happens, <laughs> and then break it into sections and break it into chapters. And so before I even start writing the prose, I know beginning to end how the story is going to go and what all of the major plot elements are, so that when I start doing the writing, I focus on how do the characters feel about what's happening. Because I already know what's going to happen. So then I can focus on the emotional state of whoever's POV I'm, I'm in at the mm. time and what they're upset about or what they're worried about or what their problems are and have that color all of the facts of what I already know are going to happen. Right. Um, so I imagine there's a surprise in that. Thing. There is. Yeah. Because a lot of times you realize when you get to a certain point that your character is in a different emotional state than you thought they were going to be in, mm. and that can change the whole perspective of what's going to happen. And every once in a while, it will force you to say, like, all right, the plot needs to change because this character would never do that, or the, you know, you know or, or they're not in the right state to do that, and it won't be believable. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one scene in uh, Skull Throne, the previous book, where... And it, like a good chunk of the book was predicated on this one character telling a lie and maintaining it for a long time. And when the time came for her to tell that lie, it just wasn't in character for her to do it. And she bl- and, and like she blurted out the truth. And like as I wrote her blurting out the truth, I was like, oh crap! <laughs> like, I'm gonna have to fix so much stuff because I pulled on like one really important thread. Yeah. But I think if I hadn't done that, it would have been out of character and it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have rung true. And so there's things like that. And then there's other things where I was really surprised, and and you'll see it in this book towards the end, or maybe you won't even notice it, Hmm. where little seeds that I had planted in the first book ended up like I I would have great ideas about them later that, uh, you know, so in the end, in the climax, when we're, we're doing... There's like multiple climaxes in multiple locations because the series has bounced 
to all of these different places, and right. each place has its own significant cast. Mm -hmm. And so there's this one big climactic fight in the city of Milne, which ta which is pretty prominent in the first book. And there were some like random throwaway things that I'd done, you know, to like world building for that city uh, in book one that I hadn't really planned to do anything else with. But then when the climax of the book came, like I started having all of these amazing ideas based on stuff that I'd done earlier on. That's and awesome. it really like, I think if you read it, it reads like I meant to do it all along. Right. But like, that's just the beauty of like, you know, sometimes you, you plan something and sometimes you just scatter some seeds and then see later see on what, grows. what you can get out of them. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's room for both. And you always have to, if you have a better idea, you always have to go with the better idea. Right. Um, but that said, I've stuck to my original. Nothing changed that drastically. Nothing changed that drastically. All yeah. the books came out the way I meant for them to come out. Um, sometimes I had to move things around a little bit, but see, I, uh, you you touched on it. I was always I was curious to see when things are that well plotted out, if you lose your own emotional response to the scenes as you're writing them. But it sounds like that wouldn't be the case if you're if you're focused specifically on how the characters are, or what their emotions are. I imagine you're vicariously going along for the ride at every step. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. Like I do I like they do the sort of like fun, creative part of, like, what's going to happen. And then that does suck some of the fun out of writing little, yeah. because I'm not making it up as I go along, so it's not as exciting. Yeah. But, as, like, the fun for me is to put myself into the emotional state of whichever character is the current POV character. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it'll take me a little while to, like, if I, when I change chapters and if it, if it changes the main character, it takes a little while to get into the mindset of whoever, the, whoever I've switched to, mm -hmm. even if it's somebody familiar. Yeah. Um, but once I do, that's what keeps it compelling, and I, th I think that uh, focus on how, how are they feeling, like, like how are they interpreting what's going on through their unique lens is what drives the story for me and what I think keeps it interesting and keeps it character-based instead of just action-based or whatever. That also puts you in a good place to do voice acting work or do any kind mm -hmm. of acting because because so much of being an actor and interpreting a character is understanding their emotional state and their psychology. And, and if you if you already have that those wheels turning, just adding uh, expression of that is just is like the next logical step. So, so. no, that's very true. Yeah, yeah, you've got it there. <laughs> so. Well, obviously, you knew who Pete was. Uh, you know, uh, a couple of things. Uh, we uh, Pete. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're Pete. I wasn't gonna. Connect. <laughs> I know who Pete, Pete is too. Pete and Pete. <laughs> Uh, we were talking, you're, you're uh, longtime buddies with uh, another prominent graphic audio author, Mike Cole, the author of the Shadow Ops series. And he alluded when we interviewed him to yeah. the fact that you guys would bounce stuff off of each other or use each other as sounding boards. Yeah, true. we always yeah. have. So, so he's sort of like a, you know, a beta tester or, or uh, do you, or you just bounce ideas or do you actually no, send we, them? We, we read full manuscripts. We do. You do. Uh, so. Like, so Mike and I have been friends for 26 years, which is staggering to think about. <laughs> um, so long before either of us were authors, like we, we met in high school, we were best friends in college, um, and we like we used to play Dungeons and Dragons together, mm -hmm. and uh, we left school, and I got a job um, making like medical journals, and he got a job working for the Department of Education, 
and he was in D.C. and I was in New York, and he emailed me and he's like, hey, you know, um, I've decided that I want to be a science fiction writer and I've started writing this story. And I was like, well, that's actually really interesting because I decided that <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be a fantasy writer and I've started writing this story. Now, and when so, y'all was in college, what, was that always the... You were studying different things, But right? did y'all, like, think about being writers when y'all was in college, or...? I think we both always wanted to be writers, but, like, you know, in the same way that you want to be an astronaut. Or like, in college, you want to be all sorts of things. Right. Like, you know, like, you, you try on different career paths, like, you know, like, like, like shirts, and, and you don't, like, you sort of, you mean it when you say it, but, you know, you know like, there's, there's also... There's wanting to do something, and then there's putting in the years of hard work right. to, to get good at it. Right. And so um, I always knew that I wanted to be a writer, um, but I also always thought that it was a, a pie-in-the-sky dream. I didn't think it was actually going to happen. Mm. I didn't think that there was anything special about me that was going to make me right. able to break through into a very competitive market. Um, and so I studied English literature, I studied creative writing, and I, like, when I graduated, I got, like, the first job in publishing that I was able to get, which was doing business-to-business -business directories, which is basically making phone books. Right. And then I went from there to medical journals, because medical journals paid better, and I was, like, a hmm. good editor and a good copy editor and whatever, but I didn't enjoy it. You know, I was, I was good at it, because I was trained, you know, that was, like, the one use of my English degree. <laughs> your degree. You know? <laughs> but, but I didn't enjoy it, and so I spent my nights writing, and it turns out Mike had the same bug, and so we started emailing our stories to each other. I guess this was probably 1997 we started that. Hmm. Um, I was writing one of those Trump novels that, you know, was never published and should never be published. And he was writing a very, very early version of uh, Control Point. Oh, okay. Um, it was called Latent at the time, and it had a totally different main character. And, like, mm. like it was just... So, he it, like, he kept the, the magic system that, the premise, that, yeah. that he has now, but, like, the that story eventually got trumped, too, in favor of the what ended up being control point. So we were passing those stories back and forth to each other for years, like debating the magic system, trying to break each other's magic system and say, well, what if you tried to do this? Or what if you tried to do that? Mm -hmm. Like, would it get too powerful if you did X or, you know? Um, right. And so Mike, uh, you know, one of his characters, like, like everyone in his world who has access to magic has like one particular kind of magic that they can do. And his main character had two. And I was like, well, it makes him special. You know, like, why does that, you yeah, know, like, yeah, that, is that, you get, you get into that, that kind of, like, chosen yeah. one business. Yes. Right, right, right. Um, where, like, he felt like the, the portal magic, the magic that, like, allows you to travel from one place to another wasn't, like, you know, good in a fight or wasn't, you know, like, he would just get killed if he didn't, you know, if that was it. So he, he gave him another kind of magic, too. And I was like, no, that's cheating. You have to find a way to make that work. And, like, you could fight with portal magic if you know what you're doing. Yeah. And so, like that, like those little comments back and forth, um, were like we had the in my books the the Krasians, uh build this big maze and they lure demons into the maze so that they can fight them in in like on their own turf. Okay. And he was the one that said to me, "He's like, oh well, you should have a special uh, you know unit of Krasians who just carry ladders around so they can run up to the top of the maze walls <laughs> and run around." And he gave me like this. Uh, apparently, there like a there was a, a 
group of like Japanese uh, samurai who who specialized who worked in, with in ladders. Worked with ladders. Wow. And they could uh, they could like carry they would carry the ladder on their shoulder like a ten foot ladder, stick it in the ground, and they could run right up it. Alone well, it was standing and stand on the top of it, balanced that and like away. look around <laughs> and then come back down and report to their boss, oh, like okay. you know what was you know what they saw and and then the ladders would snap together and then one guy would hold it and another guy would run up and so I took a lot of those ideas and worked those into to my story. So so right from the beginning we were yeah. really like in 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 the details with it each other. It work. sounds to me that uh, uh, that kind of logistics. D and D would be a good training ground for it because a lot of when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons is figuring out how to wield all these magical or mythical implements and what the strategies are. And uh, uh, I mean, did you guys fight over who was the dungeon master <laughs> between the two of you? We would trade off. Oh, would you trade would. Off. Okay. So sometimes I would be, and sometimes he would be, and sometimes someone else would be. But it's true. Like, like even with all of the rule books in Dungeons and Dragons, there's Almost every time you play, somebody wants to do something that's not covered in the rules. It's weird, yeah. And so then you have to, everybody has to like stop, like, you know, break, <laughs> break character and debate, like, well, can you really, can you really use the, you know, like, like yeah. you know, can a magic missile spell be used against an inanimate object <laughs> yeah. when it says in the rules that it's only against a creature, you know, or like, and so you have these little debates, and, and that's exactly what we would do with each other's writing. Mm -hmm. And so now, obviously, both of us are much more prolific, and we don't have the time to, to Who does? really you know, dig into like every little thing. Right. But when I finish a book, I send the first draft to Mike, and Mike reads it and gives me his comments. And when he finishes a book, he sends the first draft to me, and I read it and give him my comments. That's great. And that's so awesome. really cool. That is awesome. There's like a real influence... I have I've had a real influence on his work, and he's had a real influence on my work, and I think both of us are better for it. Yeah, that's it's great. So is Graphic Audio Universe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good point. Uh, yeah, I love I love the uh, Shadow Ops books that you guys have done mm. too. Um, Javelin Rain is not out yet, right? It, uh, it, it no, is uh, the first it, it, one. The first uh, that's, one. It's a new trilogy, right? What's the? What's so the Gemini the, Cell, I think I listened Gemini to. Gemini Cell and oh. um, Javelin Rain, they're both out. We're waiting for Siege Line. That's what it is. That's, right. the, that's the third book. I think uh, I got to catch up on Javelin Rain. Yeah. I, I did because I listened to Gemini Cell. I think I listened to Gemini Cell before Javelin Rain came out, okay. and I guess I didn't. So, but mm -hmm. yeah, I, I love listening to your versions as well. It's that's pretty cool. Awesome. You've just listened to part one of the All In Your Mind podcast with the author of the Demon Cycle series, Peter V. Brett. Make sure you listen to part two of the interview, which will be released next week. Some of the topics discussed is how weird it was for Peter to listen to his books in graphic audio. How does his daughter feel about him being a writer? His process of how he uses social media. His stint of writing comic books. And who were his influences as a writer? If you want to listen to the Demon Cycle productions or any of our productions, please visit us at www.graphicaudio.net. Also, if you want to sample what the Graphic Audio experience is all about, please subscribe to our new podcast, Graphic Audio Story Podcast, or GASP, where we will bring you all new original content in serialized format, as well as standalone stories. Thanks for listening to All In Your Mind. Peace. All in your mind.